1: It was a game-changer when Prince Harry and Meghan Markle stepped down as senior members of the royal family. Since then, they've continued to be in the tabloids and our culture feeds. They've given interviews, secured lucrative multimedia deals, and launched several personal projects. Harry recently published the highly anticipated memoir, Spare. And they've done it all while bringing long-overdue conversations about race and the royal family's legacy to the forefront. So how exactly do we process all of this? I'm Aisha Harris, and today we're talking about Harry and Meghan on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history from Onyx Collective and Hulu.
1: Joining me today is Soraya Nadia McDonald, Senior Cultural Critic for AnScape. Welcome back, Soraya. Hello, hello. Also with us is podcast producer and film and culture critic, Kate Young. Welcome back to you too, Kate. Hi again. And rounding out the panel is Kristen Meinzer. She's the co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen and The Royal Report from Newsweek. Welcome back to you too, Kristen. Thanks for having me back. Yes, we've got a, we've got a great crew lined up for this conversation here. I'm excited. So for the blissfully unaware, some quick background on Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. They met in 2016, were married two years later, and at the beginning of 2020, they announced they'd be stepping back from official duties with the royal family and working to become, quote, financially independent. They've retained their titles as Duke and Duchess of Sussex, but are no longer addressed as His and Her Royal Highness. Now, eventually, they moved to California and have since launched several projects. There's the nonprofit organization Archwell. There's a multimillion-dollar deal with Spotify that includes Megan's celebrity podcast, Archetypes. There's also a lucrative Netflix deal, which includes the six-part docuseries titled Harry and Megan that was released in December. And at the beginning of this year, Harry dropped his tell-all memoir, Spare. Now, they've also been outspoken about their mistreatment by the press and by certain members on both sides of their families. In particular, they discussed how Meghan, who is biracial, has been targeted for harassment based on her Black heritage and the risks it's caused within the royal family. All of this has culminated in a Harry and Meghan overload. So we figured we'd do a temperature check just to see how we're feeling about the couple and their effects on the monarchy. So, Kate, let's start with you. How are you feeling about Harry and Meghan?
2: So in general, I'm a pretty big fan. I think like I am one of the five people who is very familiar with Meghan Markle before she became Harry's girlfriend, because Suits is great. You should watch it. (laughs) I think over the last few years, I'm definitely starting to kind of see or at least understand why people are feeling a little burnt out on them. Their grievances are valid. I'm starting to get a little frustrated with their apparent lack of any real self-reflection and their place within this institution, because I think that With Harry specifically, there seems to be an inability to recognize that it's not just about like family members being mean, like there is a historical harm that's being perpetuated by the existence of the royal family that he can't seem to quite get to. Like he just wants them to be nice to him. But I don't think that he seems to understand that part of the reason they can't be nice to him is because they have to continue upholding this harmful institution. Those two things will never be able to be. Fully reconciled, And I think until the two of them really understand that, we're just going to keep fighting it out in the press.
1: Great points. I don't disagree at all. <laughs> Soraya, how about you? Where, where do you come down on them right now?
3: You know, for the most part, I would say I feel like I have a great deal of compassion for Harry, particularly after listening to the audiobook of Spare. What I hear um, and what I see is... A man who is really struggling. You can see that he has not necessarily made that connection between sort of the brokenness of the institution and the brokenness of his family one thing that I keep sort of coming back to in my mind that I think people forget
1: is that neither of these people are intellectuals. <laughs> um, that's that's a kind way of putting it, yes.
3: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I, like, I really, I'm not saying that, I don't mean to say that to be sort of insulting or right. shady. It's just, I think actually there's something very sort of typical American almost about Harry and Meghan in that way. You know, not everybody's reading Critical Race. Theory, not everybody's reading Kimberly Crenshaw, not every, you know, like despite the fact that they are not necessarily professional historians, and that you've basically got Harry being brought up, being taught a history that I think is very sort of straightforward. And this person was related to this person, and this person, you know, died at this battle, whatever. You know, he talks about this in the first section of the book about how, you know, he's expected to learn and know all of these things. And then when he goes away to Eton, and you know, he has a teacher who asks. You know, because he's expected to know about, you know, random history of bygone kings and queens. And he doesn't know. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? He is a C student. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) he just just is. Um, And so, you know, I think, you know, you can see he's, this is a man who's been sort of deeply heartbroken by the loss of his mother. You know, I kind of just want to give him a hug. And the people who are left are directly in line for the throne and don't have any interest, but also don't seem to to understand how it's both eating both of them up alive and also how it's creating these really deep fissures in relationships to the point that when Charles is telling his son that his mother has died, he doesn't even hug him.
1: Yeah, he, He's working through a lot. Yeah, there, there, there's a, there's a lot going on there. Um, and yeah, I can understand the, the sort of, I, I definitely think putting all of that into context is very important to do um, and to offer a little bit of grace. But uh, I feel like our limitations are probably being tested at this oh, point. Oh, Kristen, <laughs> I'm curious, where do you stand on this as our sort of royal expert here?
4: Yeah, I mean, you're not the only person I've heard this from Aisha of, oh, my gosh, my patience is being tested. It's just too much Megan. It's too much Harry. But I understand why to, you know, second everything that Sarai is saying here. Like, he's gone through a lot, okay? And in his book, he makes clear that the tabloid press is responsible for a lot of his pain. Sitting in the car with his mother while his mother sobbed while they were being chased on by paparazzi. Every single romantic relationship being obstructed by paparazzi. Having his first time having sex, the fear afterward that, oh my gosh, was somebody actually photographing me while I was doing this? The more overt, more recent things with how they treated Megan, and it was not subtle, the racism there, that she was almost straight out of Compton, along with all of the chasing down, along with the continued invasions of privacy. He wanted to make sure every single bit of information was out there in his words because he didn't want anybody else to leak a story again and to frame it the way they wanted to frame it, which was usually in an inflammatory, upsetting way. So, and I also just want to add one thing here. For everybody who's upset about Harry and Meghan, I think they're forgetting that a lot of the public was also exhausted by Charles and Diana at the time Mm. when they were airing their dirty laundry. I think a lot of us forget the memory that it wasn't just, you know, Mm. the stories that each of their offices was leaking to the press, but... Charles himself had a tell-all book with Jonathan Dimbleby that he co-wrote. He had a nighttime primetime special with Dimbledy, where he told all also. And he was doing it. Diana was doing it. This is part of the family's history of trying to frame their own stories in the face of a very exploitative press.
3: I think the other thing that's worth remembering really quickly is just the depths of the hounding and the stalking and the harassment, it, I, you know, I think we all have some familiarity, certainly, you know, with how nasty people can be as women of color just existing on the internet, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a hide that you build up over the course of a career. You know, it's not just that, oh, they made her feel bad or, you know, she's worried that people don't like her. They hounded this woman until she had a miscarriage. And then there was just sort of this blithe disregard, contempt, you know, indifference to the depths of of what she was going through and how it was not just having this clearly detrimental effect on her mental health but that it was affecting her physical health too to the point that she you know she couldn't carry a pregnancy to term that's not nothing
1: yeah i mean i take all of that so i haven't read spare but i did watch the six hours that did not need to be six hours of hegan and mary harry and megan um (laughs) (laughs) so much of that was already put in the oprah It was like why are we doing this um But but so my my thing is, is I want to sort of tease out the especially the racial aspect of this all, because I think what I'm seeing with the sort of uh, fatigue with all of this at this point. They're kind of wrestling with this, but not going as far as we think they should in the public eye. And so it's like they keep doing these interviews, they keep releasing all of these new things. And then when they do, it's like they're just kind of repeating the same stuff over and over again. Like, I... We didn't realize I was black until that's not exactly what she said, but she's like, I wasn't treated as a black person until I was with Harry, Um, you know, and it's like, okay, that's fine. I feel like we've I've always been wary of this, but there's this sense that there's this uh, limitation to what they're what they represent at this point. And I I feel it seems very similar to Obama and this sort of like way in which we were all very, very happy about Obama and thought things were going to change and that this was like a bellwether and. We were not like playing into that post racial society thing, but I think a lot of us also still thought. He might enact some better laws or he might be able to do some things, like get some things going. Mm-hmm. And then we realize, well, he's still working within the establishment. He's one dude. Mm-hmm. He's one dude. And also, like, he is in many ways, not just within it, but he is part of it in many ways. He's the older Black man who has certain ways of going about things. And Megan is the same way, where she is a symbol. Yes, the fact that she is Black at the same time, it's like, okay, but she's... A black woman who didn't really identify as black to some extent, her social circle did not seem to be completely, you know, like connected to black, other black people, all the people in the docuseries, for the most part, who are commenting are not black, um, who who are considered her friends. Um, Serena Williams is the only black woman, I think, who Mm -hmm. is, is like speaking as her friend And you have to wonder, it's like, okay, there's a moment where Serena Wallen just talking about the wedding they're talking about the gospel choir and how radical that is that they had a gospel choir at the wedding. Serena Williams says like, it's great to have her culture represented. And I'm like, wait, so was she Mm -hmm. part of a black church? Mm -hmm. And I'm not here to like question her blackness, but I am trying to say, especially as someone who herself grew up with very few black friends for reasons that I don't need, I, I will not get into. But like, I understand where she's coming from to some extent. But at the same time, at some point, you have to sort of like grow beyond that and i wonder you know does their break from the royal duties and all that stuff does that feel as radical as maybe we thought it did before or just merely symbolic i i think one of the things that i
2: keep coming back to is that i'm not quite sure what it is that they're fighting for To me, that applies not just to the two of them, but also to the royal family who remains part of the institution, because by all accounts, their lives are miserable. They have very little agency. They don't have the option to freely opt out of these responsibilities. They are pitted against each other as a means to maintain their favor with the public. Like, it sounds like a miserable existence. While, on the one hand, I understand why Harry and Meghan's instinct is to say, like, this is untenable. We cannot continue. Like, we want to go then go. That is a reasonable response to everything that they've been through and everything that they've been put through. But I also think that their insistence on retreading the harms that they experienced in that institution only serves to indicate to me that their problem is not, in fact, with the institution itself, but their position within it.
1: Yes, exactly.
2: And I think it treated her worse because she's Black, but it's not like it's great for anyone else either. I think the the central tension that Harry has with this family is that he wants not necessarily to leave the, the institution, but he wants them to be a family. Like, I keep coming back to the fact that Meghan was surprised that the formalities extend into their private lives, because to me, that's a reasonable assumption to make, that, like, this would be a public facade and that when you're in your own home, you'd be a family. And I think the real issue that Harry has is that he has co-workers, yeah. essentially. Yeah. They only have as much loyalty to him as co-workers would have to each other. I understand that because I would not have survived it, not even going to lie. But I also think that it it indicates to me then that like, you can't both want to change the institution and leave the institution. Like, if you're going, then go. If you want to change it, then change it. I don't think that he fully understands that he's asking to have things both ways, because I don't think that he understands that the things that he are, he's asking for are fundamentally incompatible with each other. Mm, They absolutely are. Yeah. I'm not upset that that he's, he's having trouble with that because I think that it is a difficult thing to reconcile. Like, these are people who are literally related to him by blood. Like, that's their whole deal. And I think the thing is, the thing that you hit on, right,
3: and I think the thing that we have to remember is that... That distance, right? That coldness, that dysfunction, that is so obvious to us—that is an entire culture. It is wrapped up in many people's identity of what it means to be British. Yeah, you know, he's literally like a tea bag. He has been steeped in like hundreds and hundreds of years worth of colonialist, imperialist, divinely ordained. B- <laughs> Like, it's funny because I I think what we're sort of demanding of them is is a conclusion and an ending so they can just sort of, like, go away
4: and, like, do whatever it is they're going to do. They're clearly – they're still in the middle of it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Well, in fairness, they did when they wanted to step back. They never wanted to disappear. They said they kind of wanted to be half in, half out, right? And that wasn't something they were allowed to do. You're either all in or all out. You can't be half in, half out. And I understand why they wanted to be half in, half out, though. And they wouldn't have been the first members of the family to do that. Uh, Edward and Sophie, when they first got married, were half in, half out. So I don't think it was a terrible thing for them to ask for to still make their own money, to pay their own bills, but still not live 24 7 for this institution, but maybe just work nine to five for them. Like, I think that was a fair thing to ask for. Of course, the press named it Megxit because they have to always blame Megan for everything. But it was really something that he spearheaded that he wanted to do and that he wanted to do part time and I think that's totally fair.
1: Yeah, I guess my my other the idea of them wanting to be half in and half out, it's like that to me is part of the problem. It's like, "Harry, I get it. I'm going to give him a leeway cuz he knows nothing else." But if I'm Megan or if I'm someone from the outside and I still want to participate in all of this, even if it's halfway and trying to do it your own way, like I think that's a starting point. Where you're, will you ever get to the point where you actually say you're, mm. you're like a ruby D and do the right thing and like burn it all down? I don't think they're ever going to get to that point. And he's not. They have not shown in anything that they've released recently. They are like this. All needs to be dismantled. And then what does that even look like? I don't. I don't know. No, Harry said the opposite
4: of that. He has yet to. He still backs up the monarchy. He has said that. Yes. yes. But I
2: don't think that's necessarily going to be that way forever. I said, give him five years living in America. I honestly don't think it will happen because I think that, as you were saying, Soraya, like this is very deeply held stuff for them. I think that he is able to recognize like how especially unfair it is for Meghan because of race and because he tried to go to the family and they're like, well, we have to deal with it. And they were right Mm -hmm. to an extent, like they were all pounded by the press. And I think the one thing that he has done right is to kind of delineate the way in which the British tabloids have this very strong, stronghold essentially on both the public and the royal family. And I think part of the reason that he cannot get what he wants from that family is because of the way the press Operates. Like, if they were all to come together and have one press house and stand together and whatever, like, the press would just make it so that they become irrelevant. Pitting them against each other is how they are able to perpetuate both their business interests and also the monarchy itself. The frustration that I have with Harry and Meghan is that. It's a lot of the blind leading the blind. They have they both have like a very surface level understanding of the fact that like this is bad, but they don't have the deeper analysis of why it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that they really fully understand the wider racial implications of this, right? Like I think people have said this multiple times that like by letting Megan go, they really lost this PR opportunity to kind of uh shore up their relevance within the commonwealth, which I think is true from their perspective. The thing is that that's the problem. The problem is that the whole
3: thing is built on white supremacy. Yes. (laughs) yes. Thank you.
2: The the, The perpetuation of the Commonwealth as someone from a Commonwealth country is, it's bad. The whole point of this is supposed to be that, like, you know, Mummy England or whatever, like, comes to our aid, helps us, is part of this global community that can come together. But, like... When we have, mm. we're have we dealing with climate change and we're having, you know, several hurricanes a season, like, we don't see them. Mm-mm. This institution itself is the problem. And I don't think that they understand that. All they can see is how it has harmed them. And I understand that because they are deep in it. But I think that they, they are not quite getting to the next step of, like, actually, yeah. all of this is bad. And, like, we shouldn't be perpetuating it at all. And, like, it all needs to go.
3: But, you know, like, there has to be a person who is going to say that to them, right? Like they have to have that person in their circle, and this is actually where I think, like Liz
4: Liz Garbus,
3: like is very valuable as the director of that series because she has a great deal of like face to face time uh, with these two and with Doria, et cetera, et cetera. But she does a very good job of sort of laying out. And contextualizing a history of the monarchy and what's sort of upholding it and the barbarism that has been done in its name, whether it's in Kenya, whether it's in India, I mean, really, wherever the sun shines, basically, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a start, right? She's won. It's a start. The thing that gives me hope, right, because they are famous. The like, think of their sort of social network of people. Hopefully, you know, like somewhere down the line, they will be at a dinner party with some actual, you know, American historians. Maybe one day, Megan and Nicole Hannah Jones will cross paths. You know, like you never know where I think life can take you, and the sort of conversations that you can have
1: with a person that challenge you. I think you're very optimistic about that because I feel like
3: that. I am. But hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me finish. Because the thing is, like, out of all of those people, the one who is actually, I think, the most open to that is Harry. Like, when he talks about his ex-girlfriends and he's always basically sort of seeking out these women who are... Who don't have this sort of like rose colored view of the institution and the monarchy, right? Like, I realize that I'm being optimistic, but I also want to acknowledge the significance of something like coincidence and luck.
4: I'm optimistic too, because I do think that I see in my own life how I've made like two steps forward, one step back. I absolutely can look back at things I have thought five years ago and think, my God, I was backwards. I'm embarrassed for that thing that I thought back then. And I hope that all of us throughout life do that because it shows we're making progress and we're hopefully becoming more enlightened. I feel like what I see from Harry is he does that too. You see him making two steps forward, one step back. And, you know, greenlighting what Liz Garbus included in Harry and Meghan, the documentary about the history of the transatlantic slave trade. All of that stuff was really important. And I thought, oh, that's two steps forward. And then he says what he does about Ngozi Fulani and about Lady Susan Hussey. For anybody who's not familiar with that, Lady Susan Hussey was a lady-in-waiting for the queen. And within the last few months, there was an official event where the founder of a major nonprofit, Ngozi Fulani, uh, was receiving an award. Lady Susan Hussey didn't just congratulate her, but essentially, <laughs> you know, grilled her. Where are you really from? No, where are you really from? No, no, where are you from? And I'm sure... Where are your people from? Yes, this is something that I have had to deal with, yes. and I totally understand why after that happened, Ngozi Fulani talked about it publicly, about how this receiving this national award was so sullied by that. And Harry, in his interview on ITV, I believe, he he said the press overreacted to that. Megan and I both love Lady Susan Hussey. And to me, that was like, what Harry. Harry. And yeah. yeah. What you doing, honey? What are you doing, Harry? You made two steps forward and that is a huge step back. That is saying essentially like, I'm upset by racism when it affects Megan, but I'm not upset by racism when it affects somebody else is kind of how it felt in that moment.
1: I, I just think that the the four of us and many of the people we know, we definitely are still growing, still changing, still learning. But we're not celebrities, and the curtain of celebrity is very, mm-hmm. very different. When your friends are, you know, Tyler Perry and Serena Williams, and look, who have done great things, and who, uh, well, Tyler Perry has done great things not not on not on screen, <laughs> not on screen. <laughs> he has uh, done many things. <laughs> That's another episode. But you know, you sure? <laughs> I mean, that's great. But like, there is, they they live in a very yeah. different. They live in a a shrine, and they live in or not a shrine, yes. but like a a a gilded a gilded house or whatever mansion, a bubble. And the the intellectual conversation, just like Soraya was mentioned, those things aren't necessarily penetrating in, like that wall. So
3: the thing is, is that like Hollywood is still like small. Um, you have these, these movies or this whatever that, that you talk about with your friends in the same way that everybody else does, because that's what pop culture does. And, you know, I hold out hope that, you know, maybe they see slave play or maybe that like <laughs> Megan just ends up somehow becoming friends with Jeremy O'Harris, the way we exist you know, in America is still so heavily shaped by just regular plantation dynamics. I hope that they are willing to open themselves up to legitimate criticism as opposed to the sort of Murdochian we're just making things up to just torture these people. And the thing that I hold out hope for that may be the catalyst to do that, if anything, will. If it's not, you know, because she ends up meeting, you know, some famous Black feminist and ends up, like, creating this, like, Unexpected friendship with like Angela Davis or somebody. Yeah,
1: this just feels like fanfic now, but I, I like. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying, look look, look, look,
3: I'm saying, like, if that doesn't happen, at the very least, I hope that there is art that reaches them, that inspires the sort of introspection about the monarchy as an institution that we deeply want them to have, even if we are skeptical that they'll ever get there.
2: I think what I really want from them or from Harry specifically is to really sit and interrogate his place within the institution and specifically his mother's place within the institution. I think by the time Diana left, she was very clear that she was trying to burn things down. But that's a lot easier to do when it's not your birthright. Right. She married into that. Mm -hmm. She didn't have to stay if she didn't want to. Harry is a product of that institution, and I think that the biggest indicator that he is still tied up in that is his continued insistence that he wants to repair things with his family and to reconcile while airing all of their dirty laundry. Like, I have no particular sympathy for the the royal family, but, like, some of the stuff in that book... You can't just throw a bomb into the dynamics of your family and assume that things will just be all right because you did it with good intention. And I'm not saying that he should have been silent because I think a lot of the stuff did need to be it. But you need to recognize then that that that's your parting farewell because you don't get to then insist that because you were right, they should forgive you. That's not how that works. That's not how human behavior works.
4: Because they'll never be 100% separated from the institution. Let us not forget Prince Harry doesn't even have a last name because he is so much a part of the institution. (laughs) Even if they completely distance themselves from the institution, they'll still be by default seen as part of the institution. And I hope they use that position to continually not just Um, educate us but educate themselves but I'm hopeful that they can do better and I do just want to go back to can you remedy the pain with your family can you build bridges with your family while still dropping a bomb on them while still doing a tell-all and so on I think that it is possible not immediately but eventually because Charles did that too with his tell-all back in the 90s and he still was able to remedy things to a certain extent with his mother and Camilla has dropped bombs over and over and over again. Her press secretary is a former editor at the Daily Mail slash Mail on Sunday. The same mail that is involved in a lawsuit with Meghan right now. I don't want them just to be Kardashians. I want them to be more than that. And they have the position where they can be more than that. So I I hope they take advantage of that position. I really do.
1: That's like the one good thing that's come out of this is that for some people – hopefully this has sort of put the crack in the facade of the monarchy and the press and made it like made it very clear that this is not something worth worshiping <laughs> <laughs> and and if it, if that's even if it, that even if it's just a handful of people across the world who didn't already feel that way or who had that enlightenment that's good enough for me <laughs> one kid <can> only hope <laughs> so we could talk about this for many, many more hours. But uh, we want to know what you think about Harry and Megan. I'm sure everyone has a lot of thoughts, just like we did. Find us at Facebook.com PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Kristen Meinser, Kate Young, Soraya Nani, and mcdonald thank you so much for being here. This was very fun. I'm so happy we did this. Thanks for having <laughs> us. Thank you. This was fun. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fatima and edited by Jessica Reedy. Audio engineering was performed by Patrick Murray. And Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thanks so much for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha Harris, and we'll see you all tomorrow.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com.
2: Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer?
3: and NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.